Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 4. Just would remind you that tonight the, uh, the informational meeting over at Lincoln Village at the Village Church at 6 o'clock uh, for the types of ministries that go on and help us to see what the Lord has for us that we can get involved with. If you don't know where you're going, I'll be here about 5.30 or so, and uh, if you want to swing by, we can go over together. John chapter 4. And we'll do the first 15 verses. Let's stand if you're able, and I'll read the word of God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come upon us, give us eyes and ears and hearts and minds of understanding, that we would see in your word how it is that we are to live our lives out. What is the work that Christ has done and the example that he has set? So, Lord, that we may walk in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, I've stopped in the middle of the passage there. Uh, As I look back, this is the fourth time in in the almost 10 years that I've been here that we've looked at this passage. Uh, Sometimes we've looked at the entire passage, which goes on uh, for for another 10 or 15 verses. Other times we looked at at bits and pieces of it, and today we will only look at at one of the aspects of it. I mean, this is a... This is a passage that's rich. I think most of us are aware of it. Uh, It's as if the woman who has come looking for something and she finds something completely different, not as if she actually does. And and, in one aspect, it's it's a kind of a famous sermon, and we all steal each other's sermon titles, you know, the forgotten water pot. 
Okay? We see later in the passage where she walks away without her water pot. She came looking for water to draw from the well, and she found water, living water, and she will never thirst again, and she left that water pot there as she went to spread that living water back in town. Now, the community that I grew up in and was raised in was pretty homogeneous, to say the least. My neighborhood was one of those uh, many neighborhoods that, that sprung up around Pittsburgh. I lived out in suburbia, and uh, I was uh, kind of the end of the baby boomers, born in, in and, and uh, right at the end of the baby boomers there. And uh, <laughs> if you're at the end, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, and and, and we, were, we were pretty much, uh, you know, the, a homogeneic community outside of Pittsburgh. Our schools were not that diverse culturally or racially. We never gave it another thought because we were so ethnically different. I mean, we did grow up outside of Pittsburgh, and most of my friends had a ski at the end of their name, okay? Uh, and, and we made jokes about those people in West Virginia, and we made jokes about all the Polish people, okay? They never made jokes about Welsh people. Uh, maybe we just aren't funny enough, apparently, okay? But we never gave th- this another thought. Uh, now, I still remember that, that I had friends whose grandparents who lived with them still spoke the old language, okay, from the old country, because they were the first generation to come over, okay? Not so common in our world today. Now, I still remember in junior high, and it is burned in my memory for, for whatever reason, that I was with a group that was, was you know, all my friends and pretty diverse, and, and these two Two guys looked at me, and they called me a name, and I didn't know what they were talking about. So they didn't get a rise out of me because it was apparently, I learned later, it was a pretty derogatory racial comment, and I, and I kind of looked at them, and, and so they just said it louder. You know, if you're in another country and they don't understand what you're saying, you just say it slower and louder. You know, where is the bathroom, okay? Well, whatever, you know, whatever name it was that they called me, they just said it louder and closer to me as if that would somehow offend me more. I, I didn't understand what it was. Such was the world in which I was raised, okay? Well, I guess all that is to say is that I didn't, I didn't learn any prejudices or anything at home or in my community, any prejudices that I have, and I've got a lot, okay, a lot of biases and things like that, because I'm sinful, okay, those things come from my nature, as they do with all of us, well, nobody can go through their lives and say, I don't have a prejudiced bone in my body, well, you've got a lot of them, but if the grace of Christ has come in your life, those things are supposed to ease up and, and, and to be washed away to some degree. But we understand we all have this sin in us, and, and it, it pops up now and then. So any form of discrimination I have really is a result of my sinful nature. Not something that I learned, because I just didn't learn about that. So I'm just like everybody else. Because I'm human, I have to battle against it, just like you do. But Jesus on the other hand, is not that way. He does not have to battle against these man-made barriers that were erected and have been erected throughout every culture in society. He wasn't too particular about who he hung out with. We know that he liked to hang out with the sinners. Why? Because he was the doctor and they were the sick and they needed to hear what he had to say. Who Who were the people that he went and ate with? Tax gatherers and prostitutes. I mean, just the bottom of the societal barrel of the New Testament times. And he played no favorites. And here in this account, with his interaction with this woman at the well, 
we see him as he deals in a real sense, a firm sense, but a real loving sense with a woman who nobody else would deal with. Nobody else wanted to have anything to do with her. She was an outcast from her community and from society. Her birth and her willful actions had put her there. Okay? Her birth and her willful actions had put her on basically an exclusion list. You know what I mean? You know, we all know people who are there, but we don't look at them, we don't talk to them, we walk by them. Um, well, Jesus didn't always do that. Sometimes he stopped and looked or sought them out particularly. Well, this was one of those women that women, the rest of society just walked by. Now, it's interesting, that, and, and just a brief historical thing, it's the heat of the day, and here's a woman at the well, and, and we don't know much about her other than she was a Samaritan and had a problem with men. Those are the two things. We really don't know, we don't have to know anything else about her. Now, it is interesting, turn the page over to verse 26. This is the first time Jesus reveals to anybody that he is the Messiah. Look at verse 26. Well, I'll go back to 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, this is the first time he tells anybody he's the Messiah. Why does he tell this outcast Samaritan woman who's got a bunch of husbands and the woman, the man she lives with presently is not her husband and she's at the well by herself at a strange time of the day. Why does he reveal to her that he is the Messiah? Well, so often we see in Scripture that it is not the great leadership that gets the news. It is the poor. It is the people who are outcast. It is... Uh, you know, the foolishness of the gospel versus the wisdom of the world. And what happened when Jesus revealed himself to the religious leaders of the day? Killed him. They didn't believe him. They said, show us. Do us a, tr a trick or two, okay? And we'll believe you. They were never going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Never, ever. Well, John says in the beginning in uh, verse 4 uh, of chapter 4, he talks about Jesus' journey, and he had to pass through Samaria. Had to pass through Samaria. Now, was this a geographic necessity? No, it was not a geographic necessity. It was a spiritual necessity. There was an appointment for Jesus at this well that he had to meet. Now, there were other geographic routes, and most of the Jews took those routes going around Samaria, and we'll look at that in just a minute as to why. But this was a spiritual necessity that he would reveal himself to this woman, this obscure woman who had no standing in society, but he would reveal himself to her. And in the larger picture of the church, in the larger picture of our lives, he is also not just breaking down the barriers that we erect, he is destroying these barriers. He is crushing them and saying, you really have no excuse for these barriers anymore. Look at the example that I have set. There can be no man-made bias when it comes to who, how, when, and where we demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of Christ. This, this really is the radical change, the start of the radical change that Christianity brings to the world. It's unlike everything else. It's unlike any other belief. It's like, unlike any other movement in the world. 
Everything that we put up that we think has value or, or a barrier that says, well, they're not like me, and Christianity crushes that. We go all the way back in the Old Testament, and we see Jonah. You, you know, and we talk about Jonah a lot. I really like Jonah, okay? Yes, he was not all that obedient at times, but eventually he was, and the Lord intervened and worked in his life. But the Lord says, go to Nineveh, so where does he go? Tarshish. Why does he not want to give the message of redemption to the people at Nineveh? Because they're not like him. They don't look like him. They don't sound like him. Okay, they were different. Why should God extend himself to those people when they're not like me? God said, you're going to go there one way or another. And he did. Well, here we have the beginning of the, in the New Testament, these breaking and the destroying of these barriers. Uh, we understand that the Jews were very ethnocentric at this time, especially when it came to the issue of of anyone outside their group or ain't touching anything unclean. We see this in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priests come by and they don't want to help him because the guy's got uh, injured and he's unclean. And, and, and we see that a good Jewish man did not eat with or spend time with or enter the home of a Gentile, nor did he speak to a woman that was not his wife. Okay? <laughs> that these things just were not done. Rabbis would not even teach women the scriptures at that time. Okay. wouldn't tell them about it, only to men. And here you have Jesus purposely entering Samaria, purposely speaking with a Samaritan woman, and doing so in a way that destroys these barriers that the Jews held on to so tightly. Look at verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. So Jesus is there alone, and this woman comes to him. Now, what in the world, it, it doesn't say this in, in, the, in the passage, but if you do your homework and look at a map, you come to the conclusion, why did she go a half mile out of town to get water? Okay. Why did she travel all that way to get water? Well, because nobody liked her. I mean, these are the types of conclusions that we're going to draw here. Nobody liked her. She was an outcast. Nobody went to the well at this time of the day. Nobody went to the well this far from town. There were plenty of springs that she could have gone to uh, in the surrounding area. She traveled half a mile because she was an outcast. And very likely because of her background and actions, the other women didn't want her around. So naturally, if Jesus is going to destroy these barriers that, that humans set up, he not only needs to walk into a, a country that Jewish men avoided, but also ask a woman who Jewish men avoided, who was Samaritan, who Jewish men avoided, for a drink from her cup. From her cup. Now, we, we're going to share the Lord's Supper here in a minute. We each have our own little cup, okay? And it's plastic. How many of you uh, maybe were elders uh, years ago and remember washing the glass cups? Anybody wash? Did you have those here? So, yeah, so, okay. You go and you wash the cups. I remember doing it with my dad when I was a little kid. And after we'd have the communion, we'd go and wash the cups. And they'd say, well, make sure they're clean. Nobody wants to drink out of a cup somebody else's had a drink out of and we've got our own little plastic cups but if you go you know up up the street or over there you'll go to some place where there's a common cup where you'll come forth and and you'll everybody will drink out of the same cup okay well you know if you don't like germs you might draw back at that or it might not be an issue for you but it's not germs that we're talking about that's an issue here okay jesus drinking out of the same cup of a samaritan is not about germs it's about uncleanness 
ceremonially speaking. And not only is it out of a Samaritan's cup, but it's out of a woman's cup that he doesn't know, but also he knows she is a prostitute. It's just as bad as you can get culturally here. All these things are adding up and adding up and adding up. So Jesus is destroying these barriers. Okay? The first barrier is this ethnic barrier. Jews and Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with one another. We'll see that in a moment, why it's historically, why it goes back so far. Jewish men avoided ladies. Jewish men avoided ladies, as an example. Secondly, not only was there this male-female barrier, but uh, the rabbi barrier. Rabbis didn't hold conversations with prostitutes. Now, it doesn't say that this woman was a prostitute, but given her number of marriages and the, woman she, and the man she lives with now, culturally she would be lumped into that group. Okay? Rabbis didn't hang out with people like that. They were unclean. And in fact, there was a group of Pharisees who were known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. The bruised and bleeding Pharisees. If they were walking down the street and they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and keep walking and they would run into things. Okay? And that's how they got that name, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. They didn't want to look at a woman. Okay? Now, I don't know all the cultural significance here, but if we're going to apply it in today's world, there are places in the world where women wear those burkas. You know, all they have is a little screen. I think one of the reasons why they wear those is so that men won't be tempted by looking at the woman. Okay? We're so weak and pitiful guys, aren't we? Okay? That women have to wear that or that they, they, these rabbis had to close their eyes every time a woman was near so that they wouldn't look upon a woman and somehow be tempted. We're just so weak and feeble. Okay. Third was the issue of race, as I said. Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now it was obvious that Jesus was a Jew and a rabbi from probably from the way he was dressed. Now there is there's a racial hatred and bitterness here uh, in this context and it goes back all the way back to 720 BC uh, when the northern kingdom fell and went into captivity and most of the Jews of the northern kingdom were taken off lock, stock and barrel if they had any ability or, or intellect or, or skills and they were taken off into the Assyrian kingdom and kind of um, relocated. So all the Jews that were left in the northern kingdom at that time really were the unskilled people that didn't have any abilities and, and the Assyrians didn't think they were worth sending off into exile. Well, when the bulk of the Jews left, then people from all over the Assyrian kingdom that they had conquered began to move into the northern area, which was Samaria. Samaria. And they came from Babylon and Cuth and all these places, and they began to intermarry and enculturate with the Jews. And they brought their pagan religions. And so the Jews in Samaria really began to slide into rank paganism and, and, and a syncretism where they took their Jewish uh, religion and mixed it with the pagan religions. Now you jump ahead about 70 years to 450 or of, of the fall of the, uh, the, the southern kingdom, uh, 586. Now you jump to about 450 and you have Nehemiah and Ezra and they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And some Jews come down from Samaria, Samaria and say, hey, we want to help out. This is our city after all. And the Jews in the, in the southern kingdom said, forget it. 
You gave up any Jewish heritage or any tie you had when you intermarried with the pagans those years ago. You forfeited your right, basically, to be Jewish at that time. That was their mindset. Okay, that's how they, they looked at those in Samaria. And then if, it wasn't, if that wasn't bad enough, there was a, a kind of a renegade Jewish leader named Manasseh. He married one of the daughters of, of Sunbalat, who was an enemy of Israel, and then said, you know, Jerusalem isn't all that important. Let's build a place to worship on Mount Gerizim. Okay, look at verse 20 uh, in, in chapter 4 here. Uh, 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and the people say that in Jerusalem there is a place where men ought to worship. She is referring to Mount Gerizim, okay, where the people in Samaria worshipped because of this. And the Jews down in Jerusalem said, those are a bunch of pagans up there. We don't want to have anything to do with. They're half-breeds. And in fact, if you're going north, Jewish men would take the three-day journey around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to walk through Samaria. But as we saw in verse 4, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Now at the end of verse 9, we see this little section in parentheses here. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay? Now, Jesus has asked her for a drink. Keep that in mind. The word here in Greek means to use vessels together. To use vessels together. Jesus is saying, the vessel that you drink out of, give it to me and let me drink out of it. Okay? This, this would have put any... Jewish man over the edge at that time. This was so out of the ordinary, so radical. Jews and Samaritans were not to use the same vessels. Okay? And she says, you're going to drink out of my vessel, and you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman? Okay, the type of love that Jesus is, is demonstrating here, and the type of love that he calls us to, is not contained by the pettiness of our own human biases in our own human hearts. Now Jesus, after doing all this, he moves to the main issue. He's destroyed the barriers of race, of culture, and of human expectations, and he has done so in order to get to this moment in verse 10. He said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water. Now, we know, looking back, what Jesus is talking about. And he, she doesn't understand it yet, but she does come to an understanding here in just a moment. Okay? The living water is that water which gives life. It is the water that restores the soul. It is the water that so many people are so thirsty for, but they don't understand. In the desert, there is one great need, water. Water is life, but you have to continue to go and find wells again and again because you begin to get thirsty again. And Jesus is saying what the well from this water does temporarily, what the water from this well does temporarily to your thirst, the living water that I will give to you will do for your soul for all eternity. It will quench that longing in your heart, that great desire that you have, that you have not been able to find happiness or, or contentment or rest all of your life, and you've been looking for it. The living water gives that to you. 
He says, I have it. Now, I'm sure she didn't understand all the implications of it, but salvation has just come to this woman's life. But Jesus is not about cheap grace. He's not about just giving it to you and saying, now go your happy way and live however you want. He tells her about this, and then he says, go tell your husband. And we know the rest of the chapter. She says, well, uh, on and on. And Jesus knows everything about her, how many husbands she has had, who she lives with presently. See, just much like the woman caught in adultery, he says, now go and sin no more. After he has forgiven her sins, now go and live out this grace that I have poured into your life. Now go and live it out in a life that is so different from the rest of the world around you. This is the call of Christ upon our lives. And what did the woman do? Well, she went and continued to break down the barriers that Jesus had broken down because she went into the town and told everybody she saw about a man who had just told her everything about her and who had given her living water. Now, we all have biases. We all have prejudices. We can't get away from it. But Jesus does not. And he tells us that the gospel is for the rich and for the poor. It's for those who smell good and those who smell bad, those from my side of the tracks and those from the other side of the tracks. The gospel cannot be contained by our own pettiness and our own views. Now, I do not believe that Jesus is saying, well, Randy, if you're serious about the gospel, then you'll go right out today and find the person who makes you most uncomfortable in the world, and you'll grab a hold of them and share the gospel with them. I don't think he's telling me to do that yet. But he's telling me that The things that I think are important in this world are not that important. The barriers that I have made because of my own sinfulness are not the barriers that Christ puts up. The barriers that Randy puts up. Okay? I think he is telling us that we need to to make sure that we are not hesitant to go and to care and to to demonstrate the gospel and to care for others because they're different from us. I mean, the scripture is very clear. Look what Jesus has done here. I mean, not only did he go purposely go there and purposely wait for this woman who was an outcast from society, racially, ethnically, everything, and then say, let me drink from your cup. What's he telling us to do? There are people within 10 blocks of this church who are so different than us. They just scare the bejeebers out of us, maybe, because we don't know them. Because we don't know what it's like to live in this world, in that world. But there are things that we can do to care for them. Things that the gospel demands for us to do and to demonstrate. You know what? There are people who are sitting next to us who need, need ministry and care as well. Never, never minimize that. But there are people who are not going to hear the gospel and not going to see it lived out unless we go and do the work for the kingdom. I think that's what God is calling us to do. He's been working on us over the course of time and saying, you know what, there are people so close to you who, who are so desperate in need to hear the things of Christ and to see that compassion in our hands that we cannot close our eyes to it. It'll make us uncomfortable. Of course it's going to make us uncomfortable because, like Jonah, they're different than us. But the Lord says, ah, they need to hear it. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see it. And if you're going to put up your own barriers and say, oh, you know, I don't do those things or I'm I'm not interested in that, why? Well, because I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Okay? (laughs) I, I just don't see that in Scripture. Okay? We need to use our giftedness with the people sitting next to us. 
the people who, who need care right next to us, who look like us, and those people who don't, who are still close enough that we have contact with. So today, as we come to the table, I think each of us has to chew on that and say, okay, Lord, I see what Jesus did. Now, what are you calling me to do? Okay, how am I to apply this in my community? Okay, it's not like I have to get and walk 30 or 40 miles to find somebody different. It doesn't take more than five minutes in our community to find somebody who's very different than us. But their need right here is the same, and that is the things of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, the story of Jesus' encounter with this woman at the well is so simple and straightforward. We we don't have to embellish it. Jesus just blows these barriers that man had made right out of the water. He goes where no Jewish man would go. He talks to somebody that no Jewish man would talk to. He asks her for a drink from her vessel, something no Jewish man would do. Why does he do this? So that she might know about the living water that he has. He did these things so that she might know of salvation. What are we to do, Lord? Open our eyes so that we will be obedient to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, let's stand and sing the first three verses of 465, Jesus, the very thought of thee. 465, let us stand.